This is the Lunduke Journal podcast with interesting inflections for May 12th, the year of our Lord 2022. We're doing questions today. I got questions from Patreon, questions from locals, questions from Substack. They're all over the place. From the Lunduke Journal subscribers scattered to the three corners of the internet. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with uh, Patreon today. By the way, if you're getting this uh, and you're not a subscriber to the Lunduke Journal, you didn't get to ask a question. You you didn't get to propose a topic. You totally missed out, boy. Uh, head on over to one of those sites, uh, you know, uh, lunduke.substack.com, lunduke.locals.com, Patreon, all, the, all that good stuff. Click on the things, all the URLs and whatnot. Subscribe. Um, we, are, we are less than 48 hours away from when Linux sucks 2022 happens and it's going to be an absolute blast. You guys got to be there. Uh, Lunduke Fest kicks off on Saturday morning, May 12th, uh, and runs, uh, runs the whole day long. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but you got to be a subscriber to be there. So, uh, or to just to, to watch the shows that result after the fact, so head on over, click on the things, subscribe to the things, and and do the things. All right, uh, let's get into these questions here. Let's start over on um, let's start on Patreon. Why not? We're starting on Patreon today. Uh, first one comes from Ed. Ed. Ed asks a very simple question: Macintosh or Amiga? <laughs> That's a, I like I like the the straightforwardness of that question. It, it thrills and delights me. Um, okay, 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 okay. Just so this is a personal question, right? I mean, this is for me. If I'm if I, if we're just talking about which one I want to personally use, I like late like the final era of of official Amigas, like Amiga OS, you know, you know, Workbench three and all that, and the the late stage Amigas, especially the ones where you could put in like accelerator cards, like the vampire accelerator boards and all that sort of thing. I like those Amigas and I like the Macintoshes. For me, the Mac there was two two beautiful eras for the Macintosh. Um uh one of them, no, really three. Uh, the Macintosh had some really great times. The first was the Macintosh Plus time. I, I like the Macintosh Pluses, those all-in-one pure black and white screens. Those screens didn't even have grayscale. They were just black or white, and you you achieve the illusion of levels of gray just with dithering and whatnot. And I... I I loved those machines. They were they were something special. I mean, obviously, from today's point of view, they're seriously limited, blah, 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 blah. But there was something special. And then flash forward a little ways. And I also am a, I'm a big fan of the late 68K early power PC pizza box era. You know, where where the if the Macintosh line had those pizza box machines like uh, some of the LCs or uh, or the Power Mac 6100. Oh, I love that machine where it just is that real thick thin desktop machine. I, I really liked those. Those were great. And those were, you know, you could run, 
uh, up through like uh, like on the 68K ones. I think that tops out at like Mac OS 8.1, I think was the final version for those. And I like those era. I like that era. And then you flash forward to the late Mac OS 9 era and you get the uh, the high end G3 and G4 Macintoshes with, uh, you know, Lots of capability. You can do your video editing on those and everything, but you're you're not yet into the OS ten time frame yet. Those are all really special eras for Macintosh. Excuse me, I'm gonna go cough away from the microphone so that I don't make your heads explode. <coughs> Much better. Um, so th- those are some really great eras of Macintosh. So if I'm looking at it from a from that point of view. Mac, the Macintosh line for me had three magical eras, whereas for me, there was really only one era of Amiga that really drew me in. Uh, and that's not to say the earlier Amigas weren't amazing, because they obviously were They were not just technologically groundbreaking and beautifully designed, uh, both from the hardware and the software standpoint, but the the software that was available for it was just just astoundingly amazing. But I think if I had to pick just one of those groups, right, just one of those things to to go with, oh, it, it's it's a tough one, but you know what? Despite my my affinity for those three eras of classic Macintoshes, I think I would have to go with late late era Amiga if I just had to pick one. And the reason for it is multifold. Uh, the first is lots and lots of really really fun video editing tools like the Video Toaster, and and I liked how those tools worked. I liked the way you could could hook up your VCRs to them and do cool text overlays on them in real time, and the, it just really spoke to me. Right, I enjoyed those. Plus the games, oh, were so good. I, I mean, there were great games for Macintoshes, but man. Uh, no, you, you you can't you can't compare the let's say the Macintosh of the the early '90s to the Amiga of the early '90s. Which one had better games? Well, the Amiga, obviously. Like anyone who who played all the Cinemaware titles and whatnot uh, for the Amiga, they know. You know, those those titles were amazing, and, and the Macintosh just didn't have anything quite like it. <clears throat> Man, I got the little coughs tonight. But I think I think though I that's what I would go with. But if we're talking about, you know, which which line has more total machines that I would lust after, it's going to go to the Macintosh because there's, it has those couple of eras. The current Macintoshes just don't do anything for me. Even the even the M1 based Macintoshes. I mean, I appreciate the new CPU and the the speed of them and all that, but it just doesn't do it for me. You know, it's not that exciting for me. I like the 68K and PowerPC Macintoshes. The x86 and the M1 stuff, eh, it's all right. It's just it's not it's not my bag. You know what I mean? It's just not my deal. Um, uh, let's see. Um, R asks, would you rather drink olive juice or lemon juice? Um. I'm going to read that again. Would you rather drink olive juice or lemon juice? Well, I I think lemon juice. <laughs> can I can I make it into lemonade? <laughs> I don't I don't really think I want to want to drink either of them like straight per se. And I I don't think I really want to drink olive juice diluted into anything either. That's just 
olive juice. <laughs> I just, I'm not into it. Uh, I'm going to go lemon juice. Lemon juice on this one seems pretty good. Um, all right, let's move over to Substack here. Try to spread everything out. Tim asks, I don't have a question per se, but being the humorously creative that you are, why, thank you. Um, I want to hear a short horror story where the evil monster is an electron app. Cheers. <laughs> Get out of my head, Tim. Um, I'm I'm moving on because I I. You ever have one of those days where it, you know if you start ranting about Electron, you won't stop. Today is one of those days for me, so I'm not gonna do it. I Saturday, this Saturday is gonna be such an epic rant session for me. Uh, I just don't want to rant today. You know, like I I'm gonna be ranting just so much on Saturday. Uh, I mean, Linux sucks 2022 is going to just be off the charts and my, my rant is going to be so intense. I got to save my rantingness up for that. Uh, I just, I just have to, um, Randall asks, where do you get all your nerdy open source news from? Oh, this is a tough one. So uh, I've actually gotten to the point now where I genuinely don't trust the vast majority of the news reporting that's out there. Um, and I'm just talking about like technology and open source in general, just because so much of it, so much of it is just so strangely, I don't want to use the word biased because that that's not really what it is. I, I almost said strangely biased, but it's not biased. It's That's not what it is. It's, it's strangely uninformative you know like if i sit down at zdnet and i i rag on zdnet quite a bit because uh, they while they do have some good articles that come out they publish so much just blech you know it's just it's like i just don't think i can sit through uh the the three thousandth uh, reformatted press release from a cloud services company today, you know, and I just, I'm not going to learn anything from it. I'm not going to be entertained by it. I'm not going to be wowed by it. My imagination is not going to start sparking off about it. And so I, there's so many of those, those, those big publications that I, even though I've written for some of them in the past, I just can't read them anymore without looking at them and thinking, okay, I see how they worded this there they're courting that that company to be an advertiser or this company definitely paid for that article and they're pretending like it's an article but really it's a full page advertisement and they're just not telling us like i just i just i start thinking those things and i see them and i know it and i know how the industry works and i just i get annoyed so most of my news comes from um uh mailing lists um so i i lurk on a huge number of mailing lists of open source projects and communities out there. Um, a huge number. Uh, my And I have them sorted into folders that I peruse. I have uh, keywords that I, I check on and I try and check whenever releases come out. I scan through these mailing lists regularly. Um, I use a wide variety of different email addresses so people don't know it's me. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't want people to like be addressing me. I just want to watch and see 
what the releases are or what the upcoming features are for the next open source project that I care about. And I really only do this for things that I care about, right? There are things that I think are interesting or would be interesting to all of you. And uh, and you'll notice every now and then something will, you know, crop up. Uh, the other thing I do is I kind of crowdsource it. I mean, the Lunduke Journal community is amazing in that we're all out there with our individual interests. Like if you go over... And this is not a plug for lunduke.locals.com, but it's one reason why you should totally subscribe to lunduke.locals.com. Um, everyone is top level there, right? So it's a social media site, but no one is there following me. We all follow each other, right? So it's more like a like Twitter if everyone follows everyone. So it's all just, it's chronological order stream of consciousness from everyone in the community. And um, there's so many of us there that are all, if you drew a Venn diagram with the overlapping nerdy interests of all of us, we would all overlap, but we would also all be like off in our own ways too. It would look like a giant funky cloud, right? And so what's cool about that is there's things that I don't necessarily follow that other people will be like, oh, that's cool. And they, they're like, people in the in the Lunduke Journal community are going to have to hear about this. And then they'll post that there and I'll, I'll look at it. And I'll be like, that's awesome. I need to dive into this more. This is something that was not on my radar and I need to spend more time looking into it. And so, um, so that's, those are the two places I mostly get my news from is, uh, uh, mailing lists I lurk on and, um, a couple of, you know, like, like a couple of companies uh, not just a couple, I guess a lot, but a, a number of companies and open source projects and whatnot also have my email on their press mailing lists. So when a new release is coming out, they send me the information on it. So th those are the three ways. Um, those are the three different areas that I get my news from. And then I take that and I say, which of this makes me smile? Like which of these things either makes me smile or is so important that it, it needs to be written about anyway, even if it doesn't necessarily make me smile, right? Um, and then then that becomes news for the, the Lunduke Journal itself. And then that, that's how that gets gets all populated. Um, um, uh, is that game you were working on going well? Um, so I've got a couple of games I'm working on. Uh, there's Linux Tycoon 3, The OS Wars, which is complete but is being updated still. Um, and then there's uh, Lunduke's Quest, which is my point-and-click adventure game, sort of, uh, <clears throat> you know, mid... It's that uh, it's that kind of that that 256 color VGA styled point and click adventure game like the Scum games and the the Sierra Creative Interpreter games like the like late later Space Quest games like Space Quest Four, uh, you know King's Quest Five, um, um, let's say uh, um, uh, Day of the Tentacle. Uh, all all these things are uh, those are the, that that genre of game, right? And so that one is actually doing great. Um, I, I'm not working on it this week because this week is is Linux sucks at the end of the week. Uh, and I've got a couple other projects I'm working on right now. But then I'm going to next week, after all of that's behind me and Linux sucks is out there in the world, I get to turn my attention back to the game and finishing it up. It's possible that the game will come out 
at the end of the coming week. Um, but probably it'll be the week after that. Uh, but somewhere in there, there's just uh, just bug fixing left to do. And uh, there's a little bit of work on the soundtrack left to do because that is not my strong suit. Uh, the game has... Also, there's one sequence in the game um, where there are, are an absolutely mammoth number of dad jokes. <laughs> just really nerdy dad jokes uh and it's just it's just lightning fast dad joke explosions coming at you one after another in this one little sequence of the game and uh that particular sequence needs some tightening up it needs to needs to do some editing there's a couple of dad jokes in there where the formatting is off or the wording isn't quite punching right and so i need to go in there and tweak that a bit so it's just a lot of little things like that to do um so the it's funny it's it's one of those scenarios because once this game is released, I don't intend on releasing like updates to it. Um, once it's done, it's done, and then people can play it on Scum v using Scum VM on whatever platform they're on, right? Because Scum VM runs on everything, and so I just want it to be done, like a like a set in stone game. It's complete, and. Um, when you work on a project where you know you you're working towards a final 1.0 release and you know you're not going to do any big updates on it getting to like 90 95% complete takes like 50% of the time and then it takes another 50% of the time to get that last 10 5 5 to 10% done right it just i mean and that's being generous i mean a lot of you out there are going no it takes like 10 times the amount of time to get the last 10% done than it does to do the first 90% and it it varies from project to project but it always works out that way so i would say that the game is 95% complete like if i released it now it's playable but there's uh there's some music issues there's a couple sound effect issues um there's uh there's one spot where it's really easy to get stuck in a wall i gotta fix that uh you know so so right now if i released it people would be like oh that's a really funny game with some really cute artwork and it's fun but boy it's got some really glaring bugs in it and i would really like to make sure that those are all squashed before i release it so it's doing good um but uh, it's it's a real passion project for me right because i'm not I'm not planning to release this game for sale. It's just a freebie for all Lunduke Journal subscribers. So I'm just going to give it to everyone who subscribes to the Lunduke Journal. Um, it's just a, a perk. It's it's part of being a part of the community is you get these weird things that I work on. And um, just because I want to make it, you know, it, it's I want to make it and I want it to be quality. I want it to be a game that my realistically my goal is... I have an affinity for point-and-click adventure games of that era, of the early 90s. Those That 320 by 200, 256 color resolution point-and-click adventure games from Sierra and LucasArts and a few others as well, but specifically those two, are, are that is just a very... It's a very nostalgic period of time for me in gaming. And I want to make a game that... I would be willing to put on my personal top 10 adventure game list. That was my whole goal with it. Like they're really like, I wanted to make a game that would make me smile. Like there's, there are a lot of great adventure games in, in that realm. Uh, Freddie Farkas, frontier pharmacist. That's a 
great one. Space Quest 4 is insanely good. Uh, King's Quest 5 is good. Some of the later Police Quest games are great. Day of the Tentacle is a, a friggin' masterpiece. Um, and I, I don't have any any illusions that even on my own personal list, I would I would be able to myself make a game that I, I could put above something, some sort of masterpiece like Day of the Tentacle. But if I tried really hard, could I make a game that would break my own personal top 10 list that at least made it to number 10? You know what I mean? That's my goal uh, uh, in that, not just of all time, but like in that genre, in that point and click adventure game genre. That's the goal with this game. Will I succeed? I think that really depends on what, how how well I can get it polished here in the last stretch of development. I think that really I think that's really going to be the killer because the graphics are great. The animations are pretty good. Not the best in the industry, but better than many, right? Better than a lot of games. Um and better than a lot of games I love. Um, that are currently on my top 10 list, but not as good as say like day of the tentacle, right? I just, I, I'm not going to be able to compete with that. Um, but maybe, you know, kind of mid midfield. Um, and, uh, the, the dialogue in the game, in my opinion, is the best dialogue of any adventure game I've ever played better than day of the tentacle, the dialogue, right? So that's that's where my game kind of shines. It's you know, are the puzzles better than a Day of the Tentacle? No, no, no. I, I wish I wish I could say is the game as sweeping and and massive in scope and scale as Day of the Tentacle? Nope, no, definitely not. But the but the dialogue is some of the funniest that I've ever seen in a game, and some of the the just the funnest dialogue in a game. So I. I'm proud of it, um, and I like it quite a lot. Uh, so we'll we'll see we'll see what people think of it. You know, it, it's it's one of those things. I'm not going to be releasing it for sale. I'm not going to do a big giant release party around it. I'm going to announce it. I'll do a video around it. I'll do an article around it, and uh, people can go play it. You know, the subscribers and you guys can let me know if you enjoy it. And I I really hope you do. I really hope you do because building it has been just weird as heck. Um, uh, let's see what else? another one another one we got here from Substack. Uh, this is not so much a question, but more something I want to hear you talk about. Elementary OS is preparing for a new major release, version 7.0. After reading one of your recent articles on what's going on behind the scenes at Elementary OS, I would be happy to hear your opinions on this. Please keep up the dad jokes. <laughs> you got it. Uh, I do my best to, to, to pepper the jokes throughout uh, the, the Lunduke Journal publications there. So uh, uh, thank you very much for enjoying those with me. Um, so elementary, I don't know, man. I, I am extremely skeptical about the future of elementary. And, that, and it's not because of the talent of anyone involved. Because if you, even if you don't use elementary, you got to admire some of the 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 hard work and the artistry and the passion that was put into it over the years i mean that's what allowed them to to see the success they had it's a real bummer that that their company imploded like it did 
I mean, that's always hard to see. It's doubly hard to see because you know that the people behind the scenes were friends. And yet they still just basically went head to head with each other, turned on each other, got mad at each other, and then just publicly started trashing each other and and then broke up. And that's that's hard to watch. And so whenever I see anything about a new release of Elementary, for me, it's all kind of painted in that. And it's just a little bit of a bummer. Also, the remaining person that works on Elementary full time, because there's just one now, um, it doesn't he hasn't. He stated that he might just leave Linux altogether and he kind of didn't want to do it anymore and was super not feeling into it. And so I I just I feel like if you've only got one person that's the full time employee working on a product and they're just super not into it. I don't know. That just doesn't bode well. I mean, maybe maybe it'll turn out great. I really hope it does. I really hope the next release of Elementary OS is just rocking awesome. Because the the more awesome things that are out there, the more awesome the whole computer nerd world is. Uh, and you know what? If it was really great, I'd consider using it. I, I don't have any anything against it, and I I just I have my doubts. I have my doubts at this point. But you know what? I hope. I hope everyone, all the 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 sole contributor, the sole full-time contributor, and all of the little part-time... Con- <laughs> I said that in a weird way. All of the part-time contributors that are working on it, you know, just volunteering their time and whatnot. I, I hope it works out great and it is everything that they wanted it to be and that they're happy with it and proud of it, however it works out. Um, let's see. In your opinion, which distro keeps most true to the goals of the free software movement? This comes from someone named Mr. Cheese. Hello, Mr. Cheese. In my opinion, it's like it's like uh, someone from a Tarantino movie, like Reservoir Dogs, except for, you know, you're just this guy in the back named Mr. Cheese. And everyone else is off, you know, like slaughtering people and, and swearing a whole bunch. But Mr. Cheese is just in the back, like chewing on some brie. <laughs> Um, in my opinion, the community that does the best, this is for Mr. Cheese, that does the best job of this isn't a Linux distro at all. It's OpenBSD. Oh, it's an interesting way to think about it. In your opinion, which distro keeps most true to the goals of the free software movement? And Mr. Cheese posits that it's not Linux, it's it's OpenBSD. Well, okay, there's two ways to look at this. One is from the licensing standpoint, right? If we're talking free software, it's got to be a free software license, so something like a GPL or, or compatible, um, uh, the GNU public license, uh, which obviously OpenBSD does not. Uh, they are more just, you know, free love. Everyone can use it and no one has to give back and the, the code is free for everybody, but it's not a free software capital. F all in quotes license, right? So from that point of view, no, OpenBSD doesn't doesn't meet those needs. But I get what you're saying here, Mr. Cheese, because, uh, you know, honestly, honestly, you know, the I have been really impressed with the dedication to just pure freedom that the OpenBSD folks have have stuck to. You know, they they've tended to not let a lot of craziness get involved in their project. They've tended to focus on just building what they build and building it well. I mean, heck, a lot of important stuff comes out of OpenBSD. 
I don't know if I said free BSD accidentally earlier. Open BSD is what we're talking about here. But the, a lot of things come out of open BSD. Um, you know, a lot of the like SSH tools and whatnot come out of there. And so, I, I mean, you gotta, you, that's, you gotta, I mean, fair, fair. I, I have seriously considered using open BSD as my primary workstation on many, many occasions. Many, many occasions, because it is a really quality and interesting system from so many standpoints. And you're right, it does, it does dedicate itself to freedom quite, quite marvelously. Um, I mean, on the flip side, though, there's a lot of Linux distributions out there that really do dedicate themselves well to the the free software ethos, um, specifically things like Triskel. Um, you're not going to find any binary blobs in there, I don't think. Um, Tails, the, the the amnesiac uh, Linux distribution, uh, which I, I just did an article on that because they just had a brand new release. That's the most fascinating system. Tails, it's Linux, and every time you boot it, it's like you were never there. It's like your first boot every time. So the idea is to make it, and then all of the network, well, not all of it, but a large portion of your network traffic is routed through the Onion network, so it all goes through Tor, um, and so the idea is to just make you as anonymous on the internet as you possibly can be. So for like, I don't know, reporters and journalists in a country that doesn't like reporters and journalists, so you'd have a place where you could go and uh, a system you could use, write your articles, upload it, do your research on the web, and then and and then log off and everything's gone right so if someone some some you know you know government you know black hat person comes in they, they there's nothing they can get right and so i i get that uh, that's kind of cool but they they do a pretty good job though besides being a distribution i probably personally wouldn't use because that sounds like a pain in the rear um they do a pretty good job of of adhering to the the free software ethos of of not having the the binary blobs and whatnot and, and another another one that actually uh, should get mentioned here uh, is PureOS uh, from Purism. So Purism, you know, they make the the Librem uh, 14 laptops and the the Librem 5 smartphone that has like a shipping time of like 17.5 millennia from the time you order it. And anyway, but they do a really good job on the software side of things, and their 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 distribution PureOS is this Debian based distro, and it. They work really hard to not only adhere to the free software, you know, ethos and to the letter of the license, but they actually continually will like like talk with and work with the free software foundation to get approved to be like, we have the free software foundation, basically the Stallman stamp of approval, right? And they, they work on that. And so if that's an important thing to you, Triskel and PureOS, I think are probably the best bets in terms of Linux distributions. By the way, tonight I am drinking a uh, a uh, Pepsi with real sugar. The real sugar Pepsi is the only way to fly. I need to take a sip of this. Mm. Oh yeah, baby, that's the good stuff. I I've been laying off the sodas a lot lately. I've been drinking a lot more tea and and uh, things like that and sparkling waters. But um, me and my wife looked at each other earlier today and we're like, you know what I could really go for. It's like a like a cola. I could really use a good Pepsi or something. So we <laughs> we want that route today. Um, all right, and then uh, Reese asks uh, last one from Substack. Reese asks, uh, "What distro do you use?" Um, well, right now, 
this very moment I'm using Debian. Um, on, I've got a laptop in front of me. It's running Debian, um, Debian testing, um, I believe. I can't remember what, which specific release I've got going on here. But this is my this is my recording rig. So I actually don't update this rig very often. Uh, you know, critical security patches pretty much only. Because uh, once I got it dialed in and working how I liked it, I just leave it. Uh, you know, I've, I've got all the stuff in there. I've got all the drivers rocking how I want it to. I mean, I only really update the Linux kernel when I absolutely have to uh, on, on this particular machine. My other machine is a hodgepodge. Who knows what the heck that thing's running from one day to the next. Some days it's Debian. Some days it's Ubuntu. Uh, some days it's uh, Pop! OS. Some days it's um, uh, Arch. Some days it's Fedora. It's all over the map. It's it, 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 some I've spent a little bit of time with that machine with OpenBSD. Um, uh, I've put I keep trying to put Haiku on there, but some builds will have serious problems with booting on that machine. Other builds will, will work great. Uh, Wi-Fi never works on that machine with Haiku OS, so I don't always do that. Um, it, it's just kind of all over the map. It really is. I I put whatever on that machine. That machine's been through heck and back. I tell you what. Um, but uh, but Debian Debian just testing is my is my default production environment uh, and really there's not any reason this particular system couldn't be running Ubuntu or Fedora or Arch um, any any of a wide variety of distributions would work great on here. Um, uh, I just am so used to Debian that Debian-based stuff is is easy for me to to really get up and running and dialed in really fast. That's that's really the only reason I I, I stick with it on here because because why not? Um, all right, uh, let's move over to locals now. Where I tell you what, that's where the bulk of the the party is happening. Um, I I I love all three of the the different platforms that are used for the Lunduke Journal: uh, Patreon, Substack, and Locals. They're all three are great. They really are. They work fine. Uh, all of them. <laughs> you can use that quote uh, of the different platforms. Lunduke says, "quote They work fine." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, every platform has its pluses and minuses, right? Like, uh, like for example, lo locals is really nice at all the community stuff. Like, I don't, I, I've never, I've never enjoyed being a part of and using a community type site so much. I, I genuinely haven't. Uh, and even though there's a couple of things I would like to fix or tweak about locals, I. I it is just such an enjoyable, pleasant experience to use. And I, I think a lot of that is the people that are over there, but also the platform is quite nice. That said, the article formatting on locals leaves something to be desired. Like, I, I can't do really slick, nice, just pleasing in the eye, inline image kind of articles over on locals, but over on Substack, I can. But Substack has those has comment sections and they work fine and I like them and it's fun to hang out with people on them. But it it just it lacks it lacks a lot of the 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 really fun community engagement stuff that can happen over on locals. So most people that hang out in the community hang out over on locals. So I'm gonna try and get through as many of these as I can in the next half hour, but uh, I gotta I, I'm gonna try and cut it off hard at that point. There's a lot of questions here. The first one we're gonna tackle though. This comes from uh, Edward. Edward asks, what is your position on the only console war that matters? Nintendo versus Sega. 
<laughs> so I, I asked him a follow-up question because I wanted to clarify this. I, I'm like, hey, are we talking, what are we talking about here? 8-bit, 16-bit, later? What, what's up? Edward says specifically he's thinking 16-bit. The 16-bit classic console war. The Genesis versus Super Nintendos. And all right, all right. Um, however, I did get permission to, to veer off into some of the other eras as well. So here's my, here's my personal take. Um, I am unabashedly a fan of Sega. I have been forever. I love... Uh, Sega hardware uh, consoles, as a general rule, are among my favorite. That said, for the 16-bit console generation, specifically the Super Nintendo versus the Genesis, I typically go for the Super Nintendo. I just do. Uh, But it would bum me out if I didn't have both. Like, like having a Super Nintendo is great. Here's my thoughts. A super the Super Nintendo is great. I feel like the total overall game library for the Super Nintendo is more impressive. I mean, there's just so many titles. The Super Nintendo version of Sim City is epically legendary. The soundtrack on that game alone would make a whole console worth having. Um, Act Razor and the Super Mario World and Super Mario All-Stars and F-Zero and the original Mario Kart and, and uh, Paper Mario and and uh, a wide variety of just crazy good 16-bit uh, RPGs. There's just, I mean, there's so many great games for the Super Nintendo. You notice one thing I'm leaving off of there, though, is Donkey Kong Country. And I'm, I'm about to go really controversial here. I can't stand that game series. I like the Donkey Kong characters just fine. I don't care for the art style all that much throughout Donkey Kong Country. It I know it's all fancy 3D rendered pretendy things, but to me it looks a little bit cheap and broken. And the the controls feel loosey goosey as heck in that game. Uh, I I just I don't enjoy it. I I I played the first one quite a lot, uh, and uh, because everyone kept telling me this is a this is one of the best games ever. Oh Donkey Kong Country, oh Donkey Kong Country too. So I I I kept going back to it because I'm like, what am I not seeing? What am I not getting here? Can't get into it. Tried. Tried a whole lot. I recognize why people might like it. I really do. Um, but I I don't enjoy the controls. The controls feel loosey-goosey and wonky to me. Um, and those are technical terms. Um, the responsiveness is weird uh, and wrong. Like, the <laughs> the latency is inconsistent. Uh, and the controls, and it's just, it's, it, it, bugs me uh it bugs me a whole bunch and the art style i don't care for the, the sounds sounds are okay um sounds are inconsistent some of the soundtrack and sound effects are wonderful some of them are odd and like recorded weird and it's just it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel like a consistent experience uh, like like uh like you compare some of the other platformers for the Super Nintendo uh Mega Man X or Super Mario World I mean you're looking at these games and they are absolute uh they're legendarily classics they're they're the kind of games that from a platformer standpoint you're like this is this is 
art. I mean, and not just because of the art style, but because of the the tightness of the controls, the uh, the the detailedness, the the cohesiveness, the the way the art style stays consistent throughout and blends with the music and the sound effects, and they all feel like it was one pure vision. Like I, those games are amazing. Donkey Kong Country can't get into now. I'm not sure why I got down this track, but I just felt like ranting about Donkey Kong Country, even though I promised myself this wouldn't be a rant session. So there you go. Lunduk is inconsistent. Um, that said, even though you've got so you've got this great platform of uh, Super Nintendo with an, um, an amazing game library. It's amazing. But there's some really good games on the Genesis. I mean, really good. Um, uh, I mean, uh, the Shining Force series, the uh, obviously the Sonic games. Uh, there's there's so much, and the the uniqueness of of the the Sega Genesis, the Sega CD, the 32X, and then you got the Sega Nomad portable version, and uh, they're their hardware ecosystem of the Sega Genesis was was too weird and quirky to to not love. And so it's really hard for me to decide on a victor there. Uh, but I tend to lean towards the Super Nintendo just because there's so many games that uh, <clears throat> I would hate to give up from the Super Nintendo line. That said, that said, over the coming years... Uh, when we get into the N64 period, I would rather play the the Dreamcast or honestly, even the Sega Saturn over a lot of the stuff that happened uh, like in the N64 through Wii time frame. Um, like the, for me, the Dreamcast is, is 10 times the console the Nintendo Wii was, uh, both in terms of the console, the controller, those cute little visual memory unit things they had, uh, and some of the amazing games on the platform. I mean, it just, it was something truly special. It was, it really was. The Dreamcast was amazing. I also am a huge fan of the Master System platform. And for me, what makes the Master System really cool, and, and Sega did this a couple of times, is uh, the Master System was out there, you know, alongside the Nintendo Entertainment System. 8-bit line, right? In some ways, the Master System was superior. In some ways, inferior. It just kind of, it, it, it was a mix of both. Um, and undoubtedly there was like 1 million times the number of games for the NES than there was for the Sega Master System. But there was something beautiful about the Master System. There, it's hard to explain unless you sit down and have a bookshelf with a bunch of Sega Master System games in their cases all lined up, and you go through the experience of taking them out and plugging them into the, the top of your Sega Master System, and you, you sit down with that controller that doesn't have a start button or select button on the controller. It just had two buttons. Um, and uh, I don't know. It, I, 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 I would rather lose the NES and keep the Master System, but I would rather keep the Super Nintendo and lose the Genesis both would make me sad because I love all those consoles a bunch. And then once you get into the later eras, I'd keep the Saturn. I'd keep the uh, I'd keep the Dreamcast for sure. I love that that, that console. Um, uh, that's probably my my favorite most recent console. I I just I enjoyed it tremendously. So I mean it's it, it's a tough one. But I mean I mean come on, we're 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 nerds here. The reality is we're not gonna just 
we're not just going to pick one winner. We're going to enjoy both of them. And not only that, when we're talking, say, 16-bit era, well, we're going to bring in the TurboGrafx-16 because, come on, give NEC some love. And please, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not leave out the SNK Neo Geo. Mm, good, good, good gravies that is a good game a good game system uh there are so many great game titles for the neo geo uh turf neo turf masters is one of the best golfing games ever i remember being in a i want to say it was a software etc and they had a game kiosk set up I think it was a software, et cetera. Um, it wasn't, you know, this was back in the, you know, the the Neo Geo days. And they had a Neo Geo uh, demo console set up and they had Neo Turf Masters in there. And I sat there and I just watched it in demo mode for like an hour one day and just listened to the sounds and watched as the the top above view with the clouds going by and the just the way the the artwork just sprang from the screen it was gorgeous it was gorgeous i mean it it did everything that the genesis did and that the super nintendo did but it did it with just this feeling of just raw energy like you could it you you knew it was brilliant you knew it was more powerful and the people who built the game for it didn't just create the the, the like the neo turf mass it's just a golf game they didn't just take though like a a golf game from a nes or a genesis or a super nintendo and, and poured it over to the the neo geo no they created something brand new that that you could not have done on a Super Nintendo or a Genesis. Not with that quality of graphics and animation. The animation it was just so silky smooth. And the sound was just so gorgeous. And I just watched it. It was a friggin' golf game. The Neo Geo, man. Uh, you know, plus you got all the Metal Slug games. And oh, it's just so fantastic. So fantastic. All right, moving on. Moving on from the, the Game Wars here. Um, um, all right. Uh, real world implementations, licensing and philo and philosophy aside, which processor architecture has the best design? And if different, which is your favorite? Again, this is purely based on the architectures and not necessarily the devices made from them. Oh, I like this. Okay. So which CPU is my favorite? If you, if you just wipe away every computer that was ever made from them, right? Say no computer has yet been made. Right. So there's no Atari's. There's no Commodore 64's. There's there's no Macintosh's. There's no IBM PC's. None of them. None of them exist. Just the CPUs. And you line all the CPUs. Every CPU ever made. You just put in a put in a row in no particular order. But you can you can check out their specs. You can see their architecture and how they're designed and made. Which one's my favorite? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, so I, I, first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna nix any of the CPUs that uh, do the uh, kind of predictive execution of code and all that. The the stuff that just it just makes so many things uh, possible for for insecurity and issues. I'm just gonna take that out of it. Um, I'm also gonna remove any CPU that has and acts a part of it that I can't access from software somehow. If I can get down to ring zero, 
I want to be able to access 100% of the CPU, every every bit, boop, and bop. I want to be able to do something with. Even if it's stupid for me to touch it, I want to be able to. Uh, critical. End of story. No, no exceptions. Do not pass go. Uh, that's just, that's, that's all there is to it. Um, you know, I really like the simplicity. I, I really, I really do. So like, I, I, I'm a big fan of very simple CPUs. Uh, my personal feeling on this is, is perhaps a weird one, but if I were, I like the idea of having a machine with more CPUs than having a machine with a fancier single CPU. Right. Even if that CPUs, you know, multi cord and all that. No, no, no. I want separate CPUs. Like I, like I genuinely th would think it would be rad to have, uh, um, let's say, essentially a, a Commodore 64 or an Apple II or some random like 6502 processor based system, but have like four 6502s and I can access any of them. And, and I can, each one can only execute one task at a time because, you know, unless I, unless I implement some sort of really fancy multitasking scheme on top of them. But then I have the ability to run four, not just threads at a time, but four separate CPUs concurrently. And I, I could sync them all with it. I know this is a tangent, but I would just, I would love that. There are significant problems with that design, um, and and there are many, many systems that have, have attempted to address it over the years, which kind of would be a fun article to work on. I should do that. Someone remind me to do that. Um, but I, I still like that. So I guess, I guess if I'm really being straightforward, um, I like the 6502. Um, I like... I, I somewhat like some of the, the early Motorola 68K CPUs. Um, I, I also kind of like early ARM CPUs before they tried getting all fancy. Um, uh, RISC-V is not bad. It's, it's too fancy for me. Um, um, I like the older CPUs. I would rather have a bunch of old older CPUs in a machine than uh, than the fancier ones. I just I just would. So let's go 6502. There we go. I like I like 6502. Um, uh, let's see here. George says when I asked, uh, "Hey, uh, will you guys want to ask me some questions?" George says no. <laughs> George says no every week. And I and I hope he never stops saying no. Um, all right, uh, let's see. Ooh, Bryce Freak asks: the goalpost of free and Libra software has been moved. For example, it seemed like Richard Stallman was okay with non-free BIOS and UEFI until Linux boot and now Core boot arrived on the scene. After that, there was a heavy push for reverse engineering BIOS and and UEFI to make barely functional replacement firmware. Okay. This is actually, I kind of, oh, I got to take a sip. You guys mind if I take a sip? You take this moment, take yourself a sip of whatever you're sipping on. I'm going Pepsi again. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, yeah. I tell you, man. That's oh, good stuff. All right. Um, so I've, I'm a couple of minds here. The first is that in, the, in a lot of the older machines, the BIOS uh, and all that, uh, was was much simpler and often much easier to hack on. Um, it just was. Um, I mean, not not necessarily super easy, but it was easier. Um, and even and even when it even when it wasn't terribly easy to hack on, 
it was quite a bit less intrusive. You know, the BIOS booted that machine up and got it rolling. And man, a lot of those BIOSes were then just kind of hands off and whatever, right? Let's talk in the old days here. As time has gone on, those BIOSes do a lot, and they get kind of intrusive and kind of locked downy, and you get UEFI and weird booting issues. I I'm not a UEFI fan, not one bit. Too complicated for for my taste. Uh, and yes, I know that that makes me sound like an old man, but it is. It's too cop. There's too many bits and bobs owing this way and that, and there's those wires all over the place. It's too much. Give me a hand crank. And, right. I mean, realistically, though, yes, uh, it's it, they got too complicated. And so I once things are that complicated and that intrusive and that constrictive, I think there becomes a, a higher necessity to really begin to push for not using that sort of thing, because it, it the the need for having not just a an a, an open implementation available, but a widely used open implementation, I think is a good thing, uh, just for people's security and pe per people's personal freedom of what they can do with their computers. And so I kind of get why he would have a renewed push. Um, uh, that said, uh, you're right. His push for for BIOS has become more more hardcore lately. Um, and I, well, I think that's a good thing in general. Um, uh, you're you're right. I mean, he, he. But you could also say he was working on other stuff beforehand. I I'm not too worried about that overall. Uh, other than I just really wish everyone would go back to just I don't know a good old American Megatrends BIOS and call it a day. Um, best Star Trek captain in movies count. Uh, this comes from Vim U. Um, MG Addict says. Uh, also, why is it Picard? Um, uh, so, uh, best Star Trek captains, um, well, golly gee, uh, I, I'm gonna, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a Kirk guy, um, but, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a Kirk guy, uh, I, I just am, uh, you know, I, I like the Cowboys, Kirk was a little more of a Cowboy, uh, at least in attitude, though in a lot of episodes he went real by the bookie too. So he he kind of had both sides to him. I, I just I I like I like that style the best. I mean I mean Picard is great and all that. The current TV shows have kind of ruined Picard for me for right now. I'm kind of just pretend like they don't exist. I tried to watch them, but they were just so not very Star Trek-like. I couldn't, I, I had a hard time getting through them. So I just kind of gave up on those. So I'm I stick to uh yeah, I, I, I stick to Kirk. Um, how can choosing open source protect us from being spied on by corporations and governments? Uh, this comes from Gabe, my buddy Gabe. I say, hey, Gabe, that was a bit of a softball question. I like it. Uh, Gabe says that, uh, you know, it's, it's still a good question, though. Um, all right. So, OK. All right. So how can choosing open source protect us from being spied on by corporations and government? And uh, I mean, the. The answer to that, I think, is the obvious one that we can check the code and see if they're spying on us. I mean, that's that's it. That's it. It's it's as simple as that. And it's impossible to fully vet the security of a closed source system. It's not I mean, it's not impossible, but it would it would take far more engineering resources than it took to build the system. Um, because if you don't have access to it and you can't account for every bit and bite and bop, 
you don't know what all it does um, or when it does it, right? You, it could eventually get to a specific date and time uh, and uh, from that point on unlock certain features. You never know, right? You never know. You need the code for it. And re- the reality is even if we have all the code, uh, it's not necessarily going to get caught right away. Man, there's been huge bugs that have flown under the radar that some of them seem like bugs and some of them seem like, huh, someone just put this in there um, that have flown on the radar for, for years. I mean, there was a bug in Linux, for example, where uh, you were at a login prompt and you hit enter, I want to say 27 times. You just kept hitting enter. Then boom, you're root. <laughs> I mean, I mean, on one hand, well, that's a bug. I'm glad we get that one fixed. Uh, also, it was there for like a long time, and then, <laughs> then also, geez, really? I mean, that kind of seems more like a, a a naughty feature. You know what I mean? That doesn't seem so much like a bug as something maybe got put in there on purpose. I I, I don't know. It totally could be a bug, but geez, I don't know. And even if it wasn't put in there on purpose, it seems like something that it maybe someone could find that and just keep it to themselves and just be able to log in anywhere at any time for just by hitting enter a whole bunch. Like, you know, ah, golly gee whitakers. Um... Uh, what's the best computer case color? Also, what's the best monochrome monitor phosphor color? Well, now we're getting into the most important question. We only have four minutes left. Um, best computer case color? Oh, oh, heavens to Betsy. I- I'm going to go wood paneled or uh, or early 90s Macintosh, uh, you know, snow white platinum whatever you want to call that that snow white look uh those are those are my best and the best monochrome monitor phosphor oh it's a toss-up between amber and green um if you got to pull my arm right now i'm more into amber but if you would ask me about two years ago i would have said green ask me again in two years maybe it'll be green again i don't know they're both pretty fantastic all right let's see if we can get one more in here um um, excluding all first person shooters, uh, what is the best multiplayer land video game of all time? Ooh, uh, Bolo. Bolo for the old Macintoshes was great. Oh, no, no, the first Star Trek. The first Star Trek one. That was good, man. No, 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 sorry, sorry. Not Star Trek. Starcraft. I don't think of Star Trek. We just talked about Star Trek. Starcraft uh, from, from Blizzard. It was fantastic, man. Uh, in fact, my bachelor party was a land party where we ended up playing starcraft for i don't know eight hours straight while chugging on soda and eating pizza yeah that's 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 how i roll over here in lunduke land that was my bachelor party dog it was a blast there was four of us we all landed up we spent the first four hours classic land party session installing games uh, we had to reinstall someone's operating system. We spent seriously hours getting everything set up. We st- <laughs> that was my bachelor party. What'd you do for your bachelor party? Well, uh, we installed two different operating systems and uh, then installed some applications. And we kind of had to troubleshoot. We had one cable that was the, like a patch cable. We were having trouble getting one machine uh, connected over our little switch that we had. And, well, actually, I think our little our little 10 base T switch was going. So what, that's what I did. I, I troubleshooted and did sysadmin work for four hours for my bachelor party. But then we played a lot of StarCraft, among other games. But StarCraft is just, it's a fantastic LAN game. One of, one of the best. Um... 
Would you run Sousa on your personal PC? Just kidding. Lol. Nicely job. Nicely done, Hank. But how do you feel about these days as a pro? How do you feel about it these days as a product and not just the political decisions? Uh, I'm going to skip the Sousa question. <laughs> Ask me about that privately, Hank. Um, um, uh, 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 if BASIC was no longer available as a programming language, what would you use? Oh, oh, um, uh, fourth. Those answers for you, Dirt. Dirt wanted my answer to be fourth, so I'd go with fourth. I, truth be truth be told, I love so many languages. I, I really do. Uh, some days I wake up and I feel like everything should be done in pure C. None of that C++ mumbo jumbo. Just pure C. Mm -mm. Um, I, I, I don't know why I just, I really like just pure C. Um, I'm also, I also objective C is kind of fun once you get used to it. Um, uh, fourth is good. Pascal, I like. Sometimes Pascal annoys me, but, but most of the time I like it. So I, I'll go with fourth. Dirt wants me to say fourth, so I'll say fourth because truth be told, I could be happy living in fourth. It's a good language. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me. We got through nowhere near half the questions. Uh, there are so many questions left to go through. Uh, I might just have to do another one of these uh, sometime soon just to finish up all these questions before I ask you guys any more. Thank you, everyone, for hanging out. Uh, again, go subscribe if you haven't yet. Click on the links, the Lunduke Journal. Uh, get the free subscription, if nothing else, so you don't miss out on stuff. And get the full subscription if you want to see Linux Sucks 2022. And you really, really do, because it's really, really great. Um, or at least it's, it's going to be, assuming I don't screw up horribly, which, who knows. Anyway, <laughs> everyone have a great night. I love y'all. High fives. Hugs, man. Hugs all the way around. Big manly. Pat you on the back really hard. Hugs. See you later.